0: Our road trip uh, continues today as we explore how to become the church that God is calling us to be. Now, the first week on our road trip, we talked about where God might be calling us as a church to join in God's vision and purposes. The journey that Moses embarked on with the Israelites was one from bondage to freedom, but one that required the people to go to places they never anticipated. They found themselves out in the wilderness where they had to rely on God for their every need. The people had a difficult time because of the challenges that they faced. When the food wasn't how they wanted it, they cried out to God saying that maybe things were better when they were back in Egypt, when they knew what to expect. Along that journey, the people found that they, that they needed to rely on one another and help one another to fulfill God's vision. Through the advice of Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, leaders were appointed in the community to help Moses work through the disagreements among the people. Last week, we focused on those words, You can't do it alone as a reminder that we must look to one another to help and to share the burdens of life and ministry with us. Three months into the Israelites' journey out of slavery toward the promised land, God leads the people to Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai, God has a special blessing prepared for them and gives specific instructions that the people are to keep the mountain holy by building a fence around it to keep the majority of people away from it from sure and certain threat of death. The elders and Moses are to keep themselves in a state of holiness and purity, and on the third day, Moses will go up on the mountain to talk to God. The Old Testament passage that we read is where we hear the Ten Commandments. In this passage, God is setting apart the community as a special and unique people. God is setting them apart from the world and their environment around them and giving them new priorities, goals, and guidelines. As the people follow God's instructions, they will eventually look very different from those around them. What strikes me about the Ten Commandments is all the preparation that went into giving those words to the people. God first acts in a mighty way to free them from slavery, leads them through dangerous situations like crossing the Red Sea and being chased by the Egyptians. God feeds them in the desert and prepares them to encounter God's gifts on Mount Sinai. The notes in my Bible for chapter 19 call it preparing for a divine encounter. Sometimes we need a lot of preparation for a divine encounter. God doesn't give them the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words as we know in Hebrew until God has sufficiently prepared them to receive them. All of the challenges that they've been through prepare them to hear this covenant and to be molded by God's instruction. How many times in our lives are we unreceptive to God's words for us until the time is right? Maybe we go through a difficult season, an illness, a challenge that requires us to rely on God, and it is then that we are able to hear what God has to say to us. Even when we think about something as as age-old as the Ten Commandments, we we might encounter them today at a completely different place in our lives than ever before. For some, it may be a call to Sabbath rest. For others, it might be a rebuke over being jealous of something that your neighbor has. By giving the Ten Commandments, God takes the next step, In the development of God's people. The first four commandments give the Israelites direction about how to honor God. These words solidify the people as God's precious ones and set them apart in their devotion and behavior. You shall have no other gods before me, nothing can come between us. I have to come first in your life. The commandments help point the people to God. This week, a friend posted a picture of her daughter's schoolwork on Facebook, and the students had to rewrite the class rules for their first grade class. So, here were the rules as they were listed no chewing gum in class. You've probably heard that one before. (laughs) No running in the hallway. Tell the truth. Say, I'm sorry. No yelling be respectful, wait your turn, be kind, and pick up trash that isn't yours. You know, we might chuckle at some of those rules and remember how hard it was to actually walk down that very long hallway on the way to recess. But all these rules are to help the students work and live together with ease. They help them to understand the expectations, sure, but also to remind them if they follow these, then the school day will be more enjoyable. You know, sometimes we look at something like the Ten Commandments and just sort of see them as a set of rules, something that we we have to follow to be holy, and if we do not, we will be punished, and maybe we could look at them as a set of guidelines and boundaries that, when followed, or when we live into them, give us joy and keep us from falling off of God's path. If we look at them as guardrails or principles and safeguards, we can see that they are meant to develop holiness, love, and goodness within us. If we were to commit murder, for instance, that would lead to a life of despair and strife and hopelessness. It would create hurt and harm in the life of another, and it would be harder for us to love God and experience joy. God's guidelines for us create order and meaning. If we were to attempt to drive on a road without lines and without a a driving manual, if we never went to any classes about driving, we'd probably have a lot of car accidents. By following something like the Ten Commandments or God's words for us, we are benefiting not only ourselves, but others as well. Other places in the Bible kind of sum up the way we are supposed to live. Our gospel text describes how Jesus responded to one of those essential questions of life. Teacher, what must I do to inherit the eternal life? Jesus responds to love the Lord your God with your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God and loving neighbor is how many would describe their faith today. This way of living out the Christian life leads to what we call the good life, right? It is in doing these two things, loving God and loving neighbor, that we find joy and meaning and purpose and a closeness to God. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, believed that love was the supreme value of the Christian life and that every other value, every other virtue flowed from it. Faith Mercy, justice, truth, those were all secondary to the chief virtue of love. Those details about how we love God and our neighbor may vary a little bit, and we might continue to want to define that in our own lives. But those markers, loving God and loving neighbor, provide a basis for how we function and behave in our daily lives. We could turn those statements into questions, and we could ask ourselves, would doing this show that I love God? Would this action reveal that I love my neighbor? John Wesley advocated these kinds of questions to be asked to oneself at the end of the day, every single day, as we know that Wesley was a man of great methods, right? The way of personal examination was one way of staying on track or being consistent with who God was calling him to be. Here's some of the questions that he asked himself. Can I be trusted? Good question. Is there anyone whom I fear, dislike, disown, criticize, or hold a resentment toward, or disregard? If so, what am I doing about it? Right? That has to do with how we relate to each other. Did I disobey God in anything? Is Christ real to me? All of these questions were intended to help Wesley and the other members of the Holy Club to live out their faith Inwardly, in their heart, in the way that they loved God, and outwardly, in the way that they loved their neighbor. Today, I want you to consider how you are receiving the Ten Commandments and Jesus' words to love God and neighbor. How do your personal values and priorities line up with these guidelines from the Bible? What values do you need to develop or change as you continue on your faith journey? And what values do we need to to live into as a church to be who God has created us to be? I believe that if we keep the virtue of love at the center of all we do, our church will thrive as an agent of the kingdom of God. Sharing good news, faith in difficult moments, encouraging one another to do the impossible, Having courage in the face of fear, these things are made possible when we are rooted and grounded in love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.